0: There is a fairly new grocery store in the neighborhood of Glover Park on Wisconsin Avenue. And it is a wonder of technology. You've probably seen a lot of places now have self-checkout pretty much everywhere. This particular grocery store is doing a new thing, which I don't think it has a name yet, but you'd probably call it no checkout. Now you do have to pay for your groceries, but there is actually no checkout. And the way they do it, well, it's, it's an Amazon-owned Whole Foods store. And I think it's an experiment that they're trying out here locally in D.C. And if it turns out that they can make it work, we might be seeing these no-checkout stores going around the country. So what happens is when you arrive at the store, you scan yourself in with an ID, and this little door kind of opens magically. It's like a Disneyland ride. <laughs> you walk into the store, you can get a cart, and then there are hundreds of cameras mounted above you that are tracking everywhere you go and every item that you touch and pull off the shelf and put into your bag. You can take some uh, grocery bags off of one shelf. It counts how many bags you take and just put your stuff right into the bags. And then when you're done, you go up to the exit, you scan the little ID, the thing opens and you walk out and then you check in a few minutes and on your phone, you see your receipt and it knows exactly what you took. It's just amazing. I've only been there a couple times, but when I do go there, I'm always very careful, you know. You, I only touch like the one pit peach that I want, because peaches are expensive. Um, I get the one jar of salsa. I don't move anything else. I, I went there with my wife a few days ago. It was her first time ever going, and I was kind of explaining to her, here's how it works and all, um, and she sort of forgot the kind of store we were in, and she was looking for a tub of greens to make a salad, and she started searching for the best possible tub with the freshest greens and pulling them out. (laughs) And I thought, we're gonna be charged for like 10 different boxes of greens. Amazingly, at the end, we were charged for one box. How did they know? And it's, like I said, a wonder of technology, a feat of efficiency, but it's a little lonely. We are in an age of efficiency right now. And efficiency is, of course, a good thing, but we have to remember efficiency is not inherently good. It is not a good in and of itself. Efficiency is only good if we know what we are being efficient for. And I know some of you are visiting this area of Washington, DC. and many of us live in this area, and we know that efficiency is a value that is held in this community, this broader community here. Sometimes it can also almost be held up like an idol, that things have to be efficient or else. I found uh, getting used to the driving patterns here in the four years I've lived here, um, I noticed right off the bat that there's an interesting, charming pattern that if you're at a red light and all of a sudden the light turns green, if you don't immediately start going, they will honk at you from behind. And a sign that I've been here for a while, I was the second car one time and there was a car in front of me and light turned green from red and, and the guy didn't move and I put my hand on the horn and I almost did it and the car behind me honked. (laughs) (laughs) Efficiency at where you are going so that you can get there fast is one thing, efficiency at being a jerk is another. (laughs) And we come to faith to learn not the what, but the why. We always need to ask the why. Why do we do what we do? Why do we program things towards what we program them for? And the parable that we heard, this famous parable of the sower that Jesus tells to the crowd, has a little bit to say about efficiency. And so to remind you, the parable tells of a person sowing seeds, and he's casting the seeds to and fro. He must be a farmer. But he casts them everywhere, and some of the seeds land on a path, some of them land on rocky ground, some land among thorns, and some of the seeds actually land on good soil. I think it's a little bit of a misreading of the parable if we think, uh, of course, the message is that we are the soil and what kind of soil are we? But I think it's a misreading if we hear it and we think, well, I'm just this kind of soil and not that kind of soil. Because if you really think about it, in your life, haven't you been all four kinds of soil at some point? Haven't there been times where you were closed like the soil that was the hard ground, where you just don't open yourself to that input coming from God? Haven't you been like the soil that is shallow, where you receive the word with excitement and you start moving, but then you fall off because it's a fair weather sort of thing for you at that time? Like when you start a New Year's resolution and it lasts for just a week and a half. And I know many of us have been the soil surrounded by thorns and other things that clutter up our lives, the things that distract us and get us so that we can't see and hear the things God would have us do. And then, by God's grace, sometimes we get to be that good soil. Have you ever had that experience where something good has been planted in you and you didn't even know it, and something wonderful has happened in spite of you? And good fruits are born The work of a life of faith, I believe, is to cultivate the soil that we are. The soil that we may be today doesn't need to be the soil that we will be tomorrow. And if you think about what a good farmer does, a farmer is aware of all the conditions, and a farmer is aware of what practices can be used. Sometimes the soil of our lives needs to be tilled, and sometimes it needs to be watered, and sometimes actually it needs to lie fallow. I used to marvel at the artichoke fields and the strawberry fields that we used to see near where we lived on the central coast of California. There's a stretch between Santa Cruz and Monterey that goes along the bay, and it is the ideal place to grow artichokes and strawberries. And if you drive along that way and you look at the way it's planted, it's absolute perfection. And even more so when you realize that um, of all the artichokes grown in the United States, about 80% are grown in California. Or no, 100%, almost 100% are in California. And 80% of those are in just that little region. So if you ever get an American-grown artichoke at the store, it probably came from there. And it's there because the way the fog moves in over the crops and then goes away. It's just the perfect amount of moisture. And it's the perfect temperature in the perfect seasons and times. It is optimized. It is efficient in a beautiful way. But getting back to the parable, the parable has another thing to say about efficiency. That God has a radically different idea of what efficiency can mean. Now the sower, as I noted, uh, throws seed everywhere. And in Jesus' own day, as well as in our day, that is not the picture of a good farmer. A good farmer would never do that. Seed is valuable, it's precious. You're not going to waste it throwing it onto a place where you know, if you're a good farmer, you should know where it's going to grow and where it isn't. And yet, the sower in this parable tosses the seed everywhere. And it's a picture of something true about God, that God will cast out goodness and love and grace in every direction. And it is up to us to catch it, even when we don't deserve it the love of God comes our way all the time. God wants love to be planted and to, be t- and to take hold in all of our hearts and to spread to every place on earth. I love the beautiful words that Paul uses in Romans 5 to describe this when he says, the love of God has been poured into our hearts. Will we catch it? The thing about love that makes it different from all other things is that love cannot be given when there is a hope for a return on investment. Love has to be given with grace, or else it isn't love. We don't love hoping for some benefit to come out of it. We love, period. And that is the way God scatters. The efficiency of God is not like the efficiency of the world. It is built on grace and gift. And purpose above all else. Vaclav Havel, who was a poet and a playwright as well as the president of the Czech Republic, said this Hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. I'll say it again. Hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense, regardless of how it turns out. When we love, we have to love, period, without a thought for what return on investment there may be. We are to live and love as Christ has shown us, confident that he will be in the midst of it all. we are to receive and to scatter the seeds of God's eternal love with this kind of hope, with a scandalous efficiency of grace. Amen.